Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us on this family day. Your guest hosts, Deb Hutton and Tim Hudak. We thought we would bring the family into the station. And we are now then joined by two members of the News Talk 1010 family, Reverend Michael Korn, News Talk 1010 contributor, and John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning. You can listen to John every morning from 6 until 10. Gentlemen, welcome back to The Rush. Nice to be here. Happy family day. Happy family day to you. (laughs) (laughs) So Brian Lilly, uh, who's a political columnist for the Toronto Sun, has a column today talking about the return of the legislature here in uh, Ontario tomorrow. It's been on a a break, as it often is, over the Christmas and early January period. And they have signaled they're bringing in some legislation called the Get It Done legislation that, among other things, some of it housekeeping, has two new initiatives in it. One is to uh, require a referendum for any government going forward who wants to bring in some form of a carbon tax, a carbon pricing system. And the other is uh, to say there will be no new tolls placed on Ontario highways. Brian Lilly says this is a gimmick. And so I ask you, John Moore, is it a gimmick? Is it good politics? Or no, maybe it's, it's a bit of both. Yeah, it's beyond a gimmick. It's silly. I mean, you're passing a law against something you didn't plan to do in the first place. I mean, not having any tolls, they were not going to have tolls. So why pass the law? And as Brian Lilly points out, moving forward, the next government could easily pass a law to bring in tolls because you can't bind future governments against certain actions. And when it comes to the carbon tax, I know it's unpopular. I realize it's going to make Pierre Polyev the prime minister, but the idea that anybody would ever vote in a referendum in favor of a new tax is ridiculous. And the story I'll always tell is Orange County, which was the kitchen cabinet birthplace of Ronald Reagan. And they had this Proposition 13 where they held down property taxes. And then Orange County became the first county in the United States to go bankrupt. It just it doesn't make sense. Either you're managing or you're not. Uh, just as a programming note, a half an hour from now, Finance Minister for the Province of Ontario, Peter Bethlehem Falvey, are going to join is going to join Tim and I on the rush, and we'll ask him some of these same questions. Michael Corn is a good politics. John says it's gimmicky, but is it at least good politics trying to wedge Bonnie Crombie? Well, I suppose in a way it is. They should have included that the uh, the Leafs wouldn't be allowed to win the Stanley Cup. One of those <laughs> things where it's never going to happen, so it doesn't matter anyway. No, it, it, I mean. It, is it good politics? I wouldn't use the word good. Um, it is effective politics, but good implies a certain morality, and there's no morality involved in this. Uh, it's, it isn't binding anyway. I mean, these things can be changed. The idea of using referenda, any sort of plebiscite, I have problems with. It should be incredibly rare. It should be about the future of the nation if you're going to do that, whether Quebec is part of Canada or not. Otherwise, certainly not. Not for a policy issue. No, this is quite clearly playing politics. Uh, it does show the Conservatives are nervous of the Liberals for the first time in, in ages, and that's quite something, I suppose. But I just wish they would get on with, with governing or not governing the province rather than trying to win an election. I fear, though, both federally and provincially right now, a lot of people are aimed at trying to make sure they're still the party in power when it comes to the next election. And that's the worst aspect of democracy governing to win an election rather than governing to improve the lot of the people. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting that, I mean, this government has a fairly ambitious agenda and it's getting some interesting things done. I'm always about 
policy over who's in power. And, you know, you're talking to Peter Bethlin Falvey. Peter knows because I've said it on the air. I'm a big fan. I like a lot of the stuff that he's doing. I like a lot of the things that are happening with this provincial government. I'll go policy by policy by policy. But this is just silly. And can I just ask you, um, John, picking up on something Michael just said, that um, they're obviously afraid of the liberals. Is that how you see this? Because I am a big fan, I think, John, as you know, of just putting your foot on the neck of your opponent and holding it there until (laughs) the next election. So I don't know that it shows a fear necessarily other than you know, maybe just the way you need to do things for the next election. Well, there's no cost to it, right? I mean, to pass these two pieces of legislation will be so easy, it doesn't really matter. But vowing, you know, I commit to not raising any taxes, I commit to not creating uh, uh, road tolls, I mean, I guess that kind of corners the Liberals, but not really. Michael Corn, there seems to be a new epicenter for the overdose crisis in the province of Ontario. We often associate it with the big cities in our country, but Belleville, down the 401 in a state of emergency with overdose crises. Is this just a coincidence of bad circumstances in Belleville, or does this epitomize what's happening even in small cities across our country? I don't think it's about the town itself. It's about the, the, the problem itself. I deal uh, as a priest with quite a few people with substance abuse issues, and they, they, they travel. Um, people who can't find housing, people who have addiction issues, people with all sorts of problems will go to a place they've been told might be uh, acceptable. They might be able to carve out a way of living there. So I suspect people have moved into the area. Uh, we have to be very sensitive and empathetic when we deal with this. Uh, it's a growing problem. It's not confined to Canada. It's internationally. It's a result of desperation. I mean, people don't volunteer to become addicted to something. Uh, it's, it's been a relatively unknown issue when, when it was alcohol. A lot of people who we probably met and knew uh, dealt with that substance abuse. With drugs, it's something different. But I do think we have to change policy, and we have to be quite radical about this. We have to be more understanding. You can't incarcerate people. It simply doesn't work, and it's not humane. And I know there's a reaction to a lot of the policies put forward, safe injection sites or whatever it may be. But there has to be not just provincial, but a, a national policy to deal with people who are in desperate straits. If, you, if you've met people, spent time with people dealing with addiction, this is not something which is a hobby, which is fun, which is glamorous. It is appalling at every level. It smashes families. It's, it smashes communities. But, yeah, we have to be in, at this point in this town, we have to intervene I'm not entirely sure how we do it. I'm not going to pretend to have every answer. I just wish politicians would say the same thing. They don't have every answer, but ask more and more questions and be open to listening. No, I appreciate those those points, Michael. John, we're back to me. We have competing news today, right? We have a study that's come out that says that safe injection sites have reduced fatalities and have helped the community. At the same time, taxpayers in Leslieville are doing a class action lawsuit to try to control or close down the safe injection site in their community. Do you think like Belleville would actually welcome a safe injection site, or what solution would they have? I don't know. Um, I'm, I find it interesting this profile is about Belleville, but as you folks probably know, I mean, for example, St. Catharines has a terrible drug problem. And as a matter of fact, if you go across Canada and the United States, it's often very small towns or smaller towns. We think of this as an urban issue. So we think of Leslieville. Uh, we don't think of Belleville as a locus of this kind of addiction, but there's all kinds of misery. All I can say is this, you know, if we can find programs that keep people 
people alive until we can get them into rehab. And that's the important thing. We don't have rehab. And it drives me absolutely nuts that we keep on telling people, you know, we got to take a tough line on this. And we got to, these these safe injection or supervised injection sites are a problem. Well, then we've got to find a way to give people who want rehab a chance to rehab. But last thought on this. Not everybody wants rehab, and that's a horrible, horrible thing to contemplate. But there are people out there who are going to do drugs. So do you turn a blind eye and let them die, or do you figure out how to at least keep them alive? Well, that question, John, we're coming right back to you. Uh, Toronto Metropolitan University is successful. Good for them getting a law school. It is now going to be housed in the site where there is a housing um, safe injection site at Young and Dundas. So how are we going to actually solve where that place goes, or we just lose one in the city? Not sure. I imagine we'll find another place. I mean, I think a lot of people would be very surprised. There are some uh, supervised injection sites that are very, very well known because terrible things have happened around them. There are others that people pay no attention to. Casey House, for example, which is an AIDS hospice and facility and hospital on Jarvis Street, has a safe or supervised injection site. I'm not aware of there being an awful lot of problems around there. So I, I, I think that, you know, some of these sites make a great big splash and others nobody pays any attention to but you're right the one where tmo tmu is moving into i mean people around young and dundas square know very well because there are a ton of problems yeah and of course the provincial government has uh, on the heels of that horrific uh, death in leslieville last summer has put a moratorium on all new safe injection sites coming up after the break we are going to ask our, our smart speakers this afternoon. If a politician eating lobster rubs you the wrong way. <laughs> Reverend Michael Corr, News Talk 1010 contributor John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning, are our smart speakers for this Family Day Monday. You're listening to Jeb Hutton and Tim Hudak on The Rush on News Talk 1010. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. I shouldn't say me, it's we. Joining us this afternoon, I got into old habits, Deb Hutton, along with Tim Hudak for a special Family Day edition of The Rush. And because we are in the 4.30 half hour, it's also our time to talk with our smart speakers. On Monday, we have Reverend Michael Korn, News Talk 1010 contributor, and John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning, joining us this afternoon. So Lawrence McCauley is an MP, and he is also the Federal Minister of uh, Agriculture for the country. He is on a trade mission to to Malaysia, and he posted on social media a picture of him sitting down to a nice big lobster lunch. He talks about looking forward to productive meetings as Minister of Agriculture in Malaysia uh, with trade partners, etc. Conservative Deputy Leader Melissa Lantzman, someone that's well-known to News Talk 1010, says that when Canadians are visiting food banks in record numbers... Sitting down and tucking into a big lobster is tone deaf. John Moore, where do you line up on this one? Well, the guy is on a trade mission, and he's supposed to be selling Canadian produce. So he took a picture of himself consuming some Canadian produce. Um, and the other thing I would add, with all due respect to our lobster fishermen, uh, outside of diamonds, lobster is the greatest ripoff Oh, no. It is the garbage of the sea. Oh. And it has been Who is turned, this guy? It has been turned into this highfalutin, like only rich people can eat lobster, <laughs> when in fact it is a cartel. And it the, the stuff, I mean, honestly, the idea that lobster is for rich people is an invention. 
Tell us how you really think, John. Thank you. <laughs> so, so you don't have a problem with it. Is that what I take? You have a problem with lobster? You just don't have a problem with Lawrence McCauley eating lobster in Malaysia? It may not have been the best policy, but if you are on a trade mission and you're trying to sell Canadian product and Canadian lobster is part of what you're trying to sell, then maybe you should tuck into it. All right. Michael Corrin, do you have an anti-lobster bias? I don't like lobster, but that's not the point. The point is, there must be a very clever conservative running the liberal PR campaign right now. Because, <laughs> I mean, talk about tin ear. It, it doesn't matter your opinion about lobster. It doesn't matter even about the reality of the situation. It doesn't matter that uh, Melissa will try and exploit any situation that presents itself to her. The reality is, it looks really bad. We have unemployment, we have inflation, we have kids working two jobs and can barely pay the rent. And a politician takes a photo of himself eating a lobster. The optics are obvious. Just don't do it. And it's happening again and again with the Liberals. Your politicians, I'm told, are allowed to enjoy their lives and have a good time. But why post the photo? I really don't think people are saying, ah, I see what he's doing. He's trying to promote the Canadian lobster industry. No one's going to conclude that. They'll just think he's being an oaf. And you know what? He does look like he's being an oaf. He shouldn't have done it. And I, I just, I mean, it's reached a point where you just wonder who is advising. The Liberals keep employing, I'm sure, for quite a lot of money, apparently fairly intelligent people to advise them. What are they advising? <laughs> Eat lobster, apparently. <laughs> I, I, I will just say for our listeners who haven't seen uh, the social media post, he's he's wearing sunglasses. He's in a very casual uh, golf shirt uh, outside in the sun. I mean, he looks like he's on vacation. So aside oh. from the fact that it's lobster, um, like he just he does not look like he is working in Malaysia. Yeah, I, I give Michael Corn the win on that one. Look, if he had a pot of lobster he was bringing to his trade counterpart overseas or even putting a couple of the creatures into the the pot, then I give the benefit of the doubt that he's actually trying to push the industry. But sitting down there chowing down, Michael Corrin got that one right, although I am now craving lobster. All right, John Moore, I'm going to come back to you. This past week in New Hampshire, a, f- a fake Joe Biden put out a message to voters not to vote in the primary. People worried about AI and deep fakes happening in political campaigns, many of which are happening in Canada. Is this a deal, no deal, a big deal, and who's going to police it? Oh, it's a big deal. I don't think anybody can police it because it's going to be completely out of control. I'll tell you, I don't think any of us were talking about AI more than a year ago, and now we end up talking about it almost every single day. And I was looking at a video today, for example, of a dog uh, outside of a window of what looked like some sort of an Italian villa or something, 100% generated by AI, could not tell, looked perfectly real. When it comes to Joe Biden, it sounded like his voice, and he was telling people the wrong day to vote. But, you know, there's nothing new under the sun either. I was talking about this last week that somebody put up a panel on uh, Twitter where it was a picture of Marcy Ian, the cabinet minister, and it said Marcy Ian is threatening to leave Canada if the liberals are defeated. And I thought, that sounds really ridiculous. Actually, it said she was going to move to the States. I thought, really? She's going to go to Trump land to get away from uh, Trudeau-less Canada? So I asked Marcy, and she said, no, I never said that. It's completely made up. But who's ever going to know? Well, I mean, it's very fair. It's new technology that's sort of polishing up an old trick. But Michael Corrin, uh, John says he's not sure we can police it. Somebody's going to have to, right? Somebody's going to have to stand up and call out these fakes, administer the fines, or put new rules in place before he can advertise. How would Corrin solve this issue? It's incredibly do. I wrote a piece for the Warris about a year ago about AI and religion. And, and there are many aspects to that. But I don't even know if it can be policed. 
uh, experts in the field are saying rather than police it, just uh, criminalize it. I mean, it, it's very difficult to, to bolt the door at this point, and, and it's exponential. It's getting better and better. You think about what it was like a couple of years ago. Um, it, you knew it wasn't real. It's, oh, that's quite interesting, but obviously it's not real. Within a year, in two years' time, we won't be able to tell the difference. How do you police that? We can't police very much at the moment, let alone this. I mean, it, it, it is, I, mean, I hate to sound panicking or hysterical, but I do wonder what this is going to be like in, in the near future. The only way we can get around it is if we're so overwhelmed by it, we, we don't believe anything anymore. But look what's happened to social media. There's a lot of garbage and dishonesty and propaganda out there, and a lot of people still believe every word. Yeah, this is deeply worrying, deeply troubling. We, we will ask our daughter when she, our nine-year-old, when she says something definitively, how she, like where she heard that, and her answer yeah. inevitably is um, YouTube kids. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Finland's national airline, Finnair, has begun asking passengers to voluntarily weigh themselves in. They stand with their ha- their um, hand luggage, so what they're taking on to the, to the part of the plane where their passengers are, and they say it's helping them improve safety, knowing as more people don't check luggage, helping them know exactly what, uh, what they're carrying in terms of weight instead of using sort of the industry standard. There are those who say that's all about safety and it's smart and it's with your hand luggage. There are others who say this is fat-phobic, and it is triggering for people with eating disorders. John Moore. Well, I fly Cape Air for the last leg of my trip every summer when I'm going to Cape Cod. And the plane only holds nine people. And I've always had to weigh myself and weigh all of my luggage. And that's because it's a small plane and they got to figure out how to balance things. They actually decide, you know, which side of the plane you're going to sit on. So I don't have a lot of issues. If we're going to weigh luggage, why can't we weigh people? Michael Korn. I don't buy into fat phobic and triggering. And I mean, I'm sure this will upset some people, but there are some objective truths about this. But, uh, and I've struggled with my weight over the years and doing quite well for the past few years, uh, but it, it's a constant issue. But being overweight is problematic and it's not always an eating disorder. I mean, that's, I think we have to be blunt about that. It, it, it only applies realistically to a small aircraft, as John said. If they're doing this for larger aircraft, I think it's about what comes next. And that'll be charging people money because they're, they're desperately trying to get more money, um, if they're a certain weight, there will then be lots of legal challenges. If you have to pay more for being heavy, for being overweight, and then what about your height? I mean, are you actually the right weight for your height? There's all sorts of issues here. I don't understand the politics of it. I mean, the, the, the airline in particular isn't a very large one, if you'll excuse the pun. <laughs> and so maybe they think, but you know, knowing how airlines are struggling right now, I do suspect the end game here is how can we charge more to people in general. And it, it could well be that in uh, in years to come, if you're of a certain weight, you'll have to pay more. We've all had the experience of sitting next to someone who is, how should we put it, um, rather plump and thinking, oh, my goodness. Michael Korn, I'm going to have to stop you on that perfect note. <laughs> Michael Korn, well, News Talk 1010 contributor, John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning. He'll be here at six o'clock. Coming up after the break, four news. Peter Bethlenfalvy, Ontario's finance minister, will join us on The Rush.